by 6.30, she wasn't feeling good, so she's staying home, which is rare. So keep her in practice. All right, so um, let's see. So she's not teaching today, and then hopefully um, Emily will be able to teach. And so she's been also not feeling well. Okay, a uh, lot to pray about, a lot to teach today. And so let's go to Gen not Genesis, but Exodus chapter 18. Exodus chapter 18, and we'll pray as we turn to our Bibles. Father, we pray for you to bless these folks we mentioned. We ask you, Lord, to be with them. We now pray for your blessing on this Sunday school. We ask you, Father, to help us to get a blessing from your word. We appreciate the folks who came out today. And we pray for those who are still on the way. Keep them safe. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus chapter 18. A couple of important things that uh, happen in this chapter. And as we go through the book of Exodus, it's going to take us several months, which is fine with me. And I hope it's a blessing to you, too. Uh, good reminders and some things to learn from the book of Exodus. This is the coming of Jethro. The coming of Jethro. Chapter 18, verses 1 through 7. Chapters 18, verse 1 through 7. Let's see what the Bible says here about the coming of Jethro. Verse number 1. When Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, and that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt, then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back, and her two sons, of which the name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been an alien, not from Mars, I have been an alien in a strange land. You'd be surprised how verses can be used to teach a lot of things, and people can justify a lot of things by a word in the Bible. I've been an alien in a strange land, verse 4, and the name of the other was Eliezer. And for the God of my father, said he, was mine help, and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh, verse 5. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife unto Moses in the wilderness, where he encamped at the Mount of God. And he said unto Moses, I thy father-in-law Jethro am come unto thee, and thy wife and her two sons with her. And so, uh, verse number seven, and Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and in obeisance and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and they came into the tent. Uh, this is a good old fashioned um, uh, reunion in a, in a way. And after the Red Sea crossing, after all the plagues of Egypt, a gecko, a baby gecko is just crawling out my attention, which I should not have mentioned to you. But uh, geckos are beneficial, except uh, they do get into the homes and do what they do. But they're interesting creatures that God made. What was I saying now before the gecko interrupted me? Oh, yes. After 40 years of being in the wilderness with uh, Jethro's father-in-law and his wife and kids, he has gone back to Egypt, and then uh, the plagues took place, and then across the Red Sea, and now they're in the wilderness. And then um, now, after all of this time, not a very long time actually, he was separate from his wife and family. Uh, Jethro's father-in-law comes and brings uh, the boys uh, and the wife over to see him in the wilderness. After separation time, uh, they are together, obeisance. Uh, fell to his knees, honored him, respected his father-in-law. Uh, I don't think he worshipped him. I think he just, the word just shows that he uh, acknowledged by his posture, his respect for his father-in-law. In verse number one, uh, Jethro has a second-hand report about what God did in Egypt and the crossing of the Red Sea. But now he gets a first-hand report from Moses himself. 
Now, when you hear something secondhand, it's one thing. Thirdhand, it's another thing. If you hear it firsthand, that's really, really impressive, firsthand accounts. And so here he has come to see his uh, son-in-law, and now uh, Moses gives him a firsthand account of what God has done uh, for them. Look at verses 7 and 8. And Moses went out of his uh, out to meet his father-in-law in the obeisance and kissed him, and they asked each other of their welfare. In other words, how would you say this? How you doing? How you doing? Or we say in Hawaii, how's it? How's it? And then we say, how's it, brother? We still say, how's it, brother? And uh, they came unto the tent. And Moses, verse 8, told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done unto Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. And all the travail that had come upon them by the way, and how the Lord delivered them. And so Moses gives his father-in-law a first account of what God has done. Moses told his father-in-law. And so this is a very important time for both of them, especially for the father-in-law. He now hears, he's heard, he's heard maybe even rumors, he's heard about uh, what God perhaps did. Now he says, he, he hears Moses tell him really face-to-face -face exactly what God did. It must have impressed Jethro quite a bit to know what God has done, uh, even through Moses. And so, now I know, he says in verse 9 and 10, uh, Jethro rejoiced in all the goodness which the Lord had done uh, to Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, verse 10, Blessed be the Lord who hath delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, and out of the hand of Pharaoh, who hath delivered the people up from under the hand of the Egyptians. And so, you find this priest of Midian, you find this man who has a religion of his own, acknowledging the great God of Israel and the powerful God of Israel and how he did great wonders on behalf of Israel. And so uh, he says, now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, the gods of Egypt and the gods even of uh, the Midianites. And so he was a priest, remember? And now he's saying, your God, Moses, is superior to all other gods. And so he's very impressed by this. It's as if he is saying, I can't believe, but I do believe because you told me so. And so here's a man's testimony about what God has done, and he believes him, and he acknowledges the great God of Israel. Uh, there's a lesson there, don't you think? Is there a lesson there? Uh, people can hear about Christ, but it's more effective and more, the word is powerful, or more influential when people hear from your own mouth about what God has done for you. That's more important and more effective and very influential. And so now there's a celebration in verses 11 and 12. A celebration of God's greatness, verses 11 and 12. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, for in the thing wherein they dealt proudly, he was above them. Verse 12, and Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and sacrifices for God, and Aaron came, and all the elders of Israel, to eat bread with Moses, father-in-law before God. And so you have a celebration of God's greatness, and uh, there's a burnt offering given or so, and uh, burnt offerings are given before the law is given. Uh, Abraham, or actually uh, back to Adam, out of the garden, they gave an offering. Um, and then of course, Abraham gave offerings to before the law is given in a few chapters. And so this was done already. And so they gave an offering, a burnt sacrifice, and they ate, and they ate. It sure seems like part of worship, part of a celebration is eating. It's almost wrong to have a celebration without food. Don't you think that's almost like a Baptist church? I think so. And so the elders came to eat bread, 
They had worship, fellowship, and food, which is always a good combination. A lot of things are accomplished uh, by these means, and they're all good. Now look at verses 13 through 18. We have controversy. Controversy. Why is that a new thing? Well, it's not, but you have controversy in this chapter because of the coming of Jethro. Now you might ask, what's the controversy? Well, let's read a few verses here and then try to explain what the controversy could be. Uh, people see what we're about to read in two ways, and I'll tell you what I see. And not that I'm always right, but I'll tell you what I see. And give reasons why I think it's what I think is correct, the viewpoint. Verses 13 through 18. And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses sat to judge the people. Moses went back to work. After a short period of um, catching up with his father-in-law, the night is long. He says, Dad, I need to get some sleep because tomorrow's a busy day. I got a lot of work to do tomorrow. I mean, it's a routine of mine, but it's a long day again. It's going to be a long day again. So I need to get some sleep. Good night, Dad. I'm glad to see you. Thanks for bringing my wife and kids over. I'm so happy to see all y'all. And then in verse number 13, the king had passed on the morrow that Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood by Moses from, this is very important, from the morning until the evening. That's a long day. What's a work day like normally? How many hours? About eight. Well, let's double that, 16. That's a long day. Now, if you work for a union, you get, you like that because you get, uh, Time and a half, or maybe even double time. Verse 14. But Moses was not in the union. Verse 14. And when Moses, he was an independent contractor working for God. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did to the people, he said, now Jethro is observing what Moses is doing. He's sitting there, sitting by him, watching what he's doing. He said, what is this thing that thou doest to the people. Why sittest thou thyself alone, and all the people stand by thee from morning unto evening? Now he's very outspoken, isn't he? He's just speaking his mind. Nobody asked for his opinion, but he gave it anyway. Verse 15. You ever meet people like that? They tell you what they think, but you didn't ask them for their opinion. Truthfully, everyone's got an opinion about everything. But it's whether someone asks you for your opinion or not. Sometimes you have good advice. Sometimes you have a good thought. Sometimes you see something, hmm, and you speak your mind. You might be absolutely correct, but you are totally rejected because you're not invited to give an opinion. So sometimes this is the better policy. Keep it to yourself. And if you are asked, tell your opinion. You can even say, that's very interesting what you're doing, Moses. That's very interesting. Well, that doesn't really say anything. It just says that it's interesting. Well, uh, what do you mean interesting? Well, a lot of people are coming to you and you've been doing this from sunrise to sunset. That's very interesting. You must really care for the people. I do. Well, what do you see? Well, I'll, since you asked me, I'll tell you. But here is a man giving unsolicited opinion. And he's very outspoken. Look at verse number 15. And Moses said unto his father-in-law, by the way, I was once in Midland, Texas, Midland, Odessa, and it was an AC convention going on, and the school uh, was connected to the church, apparently, because it's an AC system. And uh, I had driven down, I think, from not 
It was uh, west of uh, Fort Worth, somewhere in between. Drove down there, and uh, anyway, he had asked me to come uh, to help with the volleyball, girls volleyball team. And so, did that for a week. But during that time, um, he said to me that previously, a well-known pastor had come to his church, a very well-known independent Baptist pastor came to his church and uh, was there. He was uh, a celebrity pastor, very well-known, very well-known. If I mention his name, you say, ah, oh, I know him. Well, I'm not gonna mention his name because it's not important, but he came to his church and spoke there. And one of the first things that the host pastor asked this well-known pastor, he says, okay, what do you see and what should I do? He was asking this well-known pastor for his opinion about his ministry. They walked, they toured the school, they toured the church facilities, talked about their attendance, talked about their offering, talked about their buses, talked about different things. And he, he wanted to know what he thought about, is there anything I can do differently or we should do differently? Are we doing everything okay? He solicited his opinion. Moses did not ask for Jethro's opinion, but he gave it anyway. Verse number 15, Moses said unto his father-in-law, uh, because the people came unto me to inquire of God. Well, here's why I'm sitting here and I'm answering their questions, trying to solve problems. Verse 16, they want to know what God says. Verse 16, when they had a matter, when they have a matter, they came unto me and I judge between one and another. And I do make them know the statutes of God and his law. And Moses, father-in-law said unto him, the thing that thou doest is not good. Well, excuse me, sir. Uh, who asked you for your opinion? Well, it's a little complicated over here, but what you see so far is that Moses' father-in-law just spoke up, um, just told his opinion. I guess when you get old, you can do that. When you become an older man, you feel like and you got a lot of gray hair or no hair, you feel like you can say things to the younger people. Although Moses is not so young himself, he's at least 80 years old. And so he's not a young child, he's not a teenager. By the way, teenagers need a lot of advice, don't they? They all do different kinds of advice because sometimes teenagers think they know everything everyone goes through that and then you turn a little older and then you realize I was not so smart but I should have thought I was smart it's all relative verse 18 that would surely wear away now here's his observation about the thing that I see that is not good thou shalt surely that will surely wear away both thou and thy, uh, this people that is with thee, for this thing is too heavy for thee. Thou art not able to perform it thyself alone. Hearken now unto my voice. Now you listen to me. Now you listen to me. Now you hear me out. <laughs> now hearken now unto me, my voice. I will give thee counsel. I'm going to tell you what you need to do. And God shall be with thee. Be thou for the people to Godward that thou mayest bring the causes unto God, and thou shalt teach them ordinances and laws, and shalt show them the way wherein they must walk, and the work that they must do. And so, uh, he, I'll stop here and tell you that uh, Moses' father was concerned about one thing. What would that one thing be that he's observing, and the one thing he's concerned about? He says, verse 17, the thing that thou doest is not good. What thing? What thing? What are you doing that's not good, Moses? The key is in verse number 13. Morning unto evening. That is the, that is the important part. He said, Moses, you're going to wear yourself out. 
morning to evening. There's a line of people. Church is out four miles. A lot of people there. And you're going to wear yourself out, Moses. That is his concern. His concern is about Moses' health. You will wear yourself out. A legitimate concern. Now, I don't see Moses complaining here. I don't see Moses saying, oh, wait a minute, I need to take a break. Uh, no, I don't see that. It doesn't say that. That means he didn't do that. But uh, Moses' father-in-law observed <coughs> him being worn out. Uh, the word that you would use is, uh, it's too big of a load. Uh, you are going to wear yourself down to bone. Uh, you are you are just going to burn out. That has not been said for a few years, it seems like. But that phrase, burning out, uh, minister of burnout, has been tossed about um, a little bit. Not so much recently, but in the past decade. Minister of burnout. So busy, so busy, so busy. You're going to burn out, Moses. My son. I care for you, and if you keep this up, you're gonna. I see you burning out. You're burning both ends of a candle. You're gonna burn out, and when you burn out, not uh, when you burn out. A lot of things with him burning out goes bad. It affects your wife. It affects your kids. And uh, pastors who do a lot of things, they uh, may have the strength to do that, but sometimes people do too much because they don't do one thing, and so they burn out. Moses' father observes him and said, "Hmm." The thing that thou doest is not good. What is it? Well, from morning to night, you're seeing the people, and uh, you're going to burn out. He didn't use that word burn out, but you're going to wear out. You are doing something that's too heavy for thee, not able to perform it thyself alone. And so he's held, and then about his authority, verse 19, hearken now unto my voice, I will give thee counsel. God shall be with thee, be thou for the people to Godward, that thou mayest bring the cause unto God, and thou shalt teach them ordinances and law, and so on. And so it's about Moses' authority. Moses, you got the authority, and that's not wrong, but you need to do something different to be more effective. Now, look at verse 21 and 22. It's about delegation, 21 and 22. Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men. Now, what is he telling Moses? Is he telling Moses, Stop doing your work? No. Is he telling Moses, you should stop? No. Is he telling Moses, don't cost them? No. What is he saying to them? He's saying to them, to be more effective, provide out of all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands and rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties and rulers of tens. And let them judge the people at all seasons. And it shall be that every great matter they shall bring unto thee, that every small matter they shall judge. So shall it be easier for thyself. Remember, his concern is his health. Remember, his concern is that he is effective. Remember that uh, as a man doing all these things from morning to night, it, you're going to wear out. How could you not wear out emotionally and physically? It shall be easier for thyself. Less burden for you, less stress for you. And they shall bear the burden with thee. And so that is what he saw by observation. That's what Moses Bala saw. He said, delegate to men that you can trust. Delegate to men that you can train. Delegate to men that will take care of problems that are not, they're not, they're smaller problems. They're important, but they're not so important that you got to give personal attention to the people. 
cut down on the long wait line. Um, that very same pastor I referred to earlier, uh, every night after morning and evening and Wednesday night, he would have people line up. He'd be in his office and they would come in one at a time to get counsel from this pastor. And so from what I understand, every service was like that at his church. So there were lines of people, long lines of people, uh, as if they're going to a rock concert, lining up for the tickets. Uh, wrong, wrong analogy, sorry. Uh, they're going to get counsel from the man of God who is gonna intercede to God for them. And so one at a time, the door open, someone will come out next, secretary say, okay, next, you know, it's like that. And so that's what he was doing. And supposedly it went two, three hours after a church service because he had to counsel all these people in his large mega church. Well, was that right or wrong? Uh, who's to say if that was right or wrong? Jethro observed that and he said, hmm, maybe there's a better way of doing this. And this is what his suggestion was. Well, let me, let me back up. Not a suggestion, but what he, what he sees should be done. And so he's very opinionated about what Moses should do. And then Moses will adopt his opinion. So let me tell you about this controversy. The controversy is why should a man who's not a Christian, so-called the no Christian in the Old Testament, why should a man who doesn't believe in the God of the Bible, the God of the Hebrews, a man who has his own religion, uh, not the Hebrew faith, why should he, his advice be taken heed? Why should Moses, who is following the Lord, why should he adopt what his father-in-law says? That is the controversy. Well, let's think this through a little bit. Uh, Jethro was a pagan, therefore his view should not be adopted, some would say. And why should the world's opinion be incorporated into the Christian ministry? That is some of the logic as to why this was wrong. Now, a modern example of adopting a world's viewpoint into the church would be something that we're familiar with in our time, in our generation. But let me ask this question. What would be somewhat of an equivalent of someone adopting a world's way of doing things into the church? It's in my head, but I'd like to see if you are, are, are thinking about this. The application about what Jethro's father is saying. And we'll call Jethro non-Christian, okay, as an example. Just to telling Moses, quote, a New Testament pastor, which he was not, but representing God. Uh, what what modern example could we give to figure this out? A worldly philosophy or a worldly or non-Christian, non non-local church attempt to do something good but it's not biblical what would be an example music okay okay music what about the music so we have someone from the outside from Midian so that'd be like someone in the world okay not an insider but an outsider so music could be used by observation. People say, you know, you could really have, uh, you could attract a lot of people because um, if you just look at, listen to what the world is listening to in music and then adopt it into the church and make it more comfortable. Okay, now that's leading up to the next point, the next observation. What, I'm looking at a certain term. The term, the, the philosophy began 30 years ago. It's now 
come full circle where they said, now this is all wrong. We made a big mistake. But the experiment 30, 35 years ago seemed to be so right. It was so, yes, this is it. This is what's going to happen. We're going to do it this way. And it did seem to work because the numbers just exploded. Okay? Uh, so I'm fishing. Relevance. Ah, yes. SS. SS. SS is the thing I was looking for. Have you heard of seeker sensitive? Seeker sensitive was really uh, born out of the heart of two men. They both made me uh, reflect with each other, but Bill Hybels in the Chicago area was one who really promoted the seeker sensitive movement. And then the other man, California, uh, after seminary went to California, started a church, and uh, he's now retired after all of these decades. But he was also very influential in being seeker sensitive. And that man is, wrote a lot of books. I bought a book of his from Costco when he first came out. The Purpose Driven Church. Rick Warren. Rick Warren, okay. So both of these gentlemen, and they are gentlemen. Now, nobody is perfect. They have flaws. But uh, the, the point to think about is both men were influenced by... <laughs> A desire to reach more people good but they adopted something from Midian and what they adopted was this philosophy of making church non-church <laughs> making church non-church let's let's have church services but not call it church services and in Rick Warren's book the purpose-driven church very interesting book you can learn a lot from it about what not to do, but you can see the mindset of why he did that. So I do not judge Rick Warren for being a bad man, but we're looking at one thing, him adopting a method to reach people. He did say, as his church began to grow, let's pass out three by five cards to people who are in church and all the multi-services, and let's ask the question, he asked the question, Write down the name of the radio station you listen to. This is before, of course, you know, all these other uh, availabilities of, of platforms. Write down the name of the radio station you listen to. And so they all did. They brought it back next Sunday, and they, their staff gathered up and said, okay, most folk, 95% of people listen to this radio station. Oh, really? That's interesting. Oh, so they like this kind of music. Now, here's what happened. They adopted the style of music that the people listening to into church services to make it more accommodating. Now that really sounds reasonable from a certain viewpoint. Wouldn't you think? Let's make people feel comfortable. Let's make people feel like we're not picking on them or singling them out, which is the wrong thing to do really, but let's make it let, let's make church uh, less churchy. Let's not use the word pulpit. Let's 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 revive revamp things so that when people come to church We'll say, come to our campus. And let's not, let's remember the plexiglass pulpits? <laughs> plexiglass pulpits? That was a real fad. Everybody was selling that. And so let's do that. And then they begin to sit on stools to, to look more one of you and, and uh, less dressy. No, no, no tie and suits on Sunday. Now it's jeans. Now it's um, uh, untucked shirts. And now it's. Um, more facial hair, not that facial hair is bad, you know, but it's bad on a woman. 
<laughs> oh boy, but and let's just uh, 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 let's take off the name of the, the denomination. Let's make it. Um, uh, I'll just throw out City Church or um, Assembly by the Bay or you know um, Impact um, uh, Impact Impact Drill Set or Nomadics. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, let's just name it anything but church. They call it fellowship. Call it assembly, call it community. Let's just take away anything religious about it. And so that was the mindset. Uh, so that's that's the kind of thing that people think that Jethro was doing. So that's the modernized version of that. Or is it? Um, so let's have a lot of, let's make this campus look like a mall. And uh, driving down toward Houston, Texas on the freeway coming from Beaumont. And uh, you, I, I saw on uh, the east side of the interstate, the Beltway, huge buildings. I thought, what mall is that? <laughs> then as I come around, I see the name of this Spanish-speaking church. It is a mall-sized church. Now, that's not a criticism, that's just an observation that, um, wow, it's a mega church. And then around Houston, you have a lot of mega church. Then you got Joel Osteen's church, uh, Joel, Joel Osteen's uh, gathering, <laughs> Joel Osteen's uh, thing. And so you have this, this idea that we should tone down and let's not use even the terminology let's not use the word because it might offend people that might offend people so we never use that word they have staff means we won't use this word shortcomings failures that's more acceptable it's more accommodating to the people let's not offend them unnecessarily by using the word sin let's not use this word That really, quote, turn people away. They don't want to hear that. They want to hear about heaven. So they want to hear that Bible word, but not that Bible word. Okay, well, that's kind of a pragmatic way of doing ministry. Uh, Jethro, the priest from Midian, gave his opinion about how Moses conduct his affairs. So this is some of the things that people say is wrong about Jethro's advice to him. Uh, remove all religious symbols, less Bible terms, make things more positive let's have more drama let's have more uh, plays let's have more programs let's have more you know things like that where uh, less churchy to round it out and so this is the idea that people think Jethro was giving to Moses is it so is this what he is telling him is that what he is being told is that his observation his observation simply Moses, my son, you're going to wear yourself out. Here's what you should do so you don't wear yourself out. Do you know what Jethro was really saying to him? Jethro was not telling him what to do spiritually. This is my opinion. This might take on this passage. I've read it several times and I'm thinking, what is wrong with this? I've read the commentators, I've read the contemporaries, and they say, do not do as I just explained the last five minutes. Is that what he's doing here? Jethro was saying, look, maybe if you change something up, administratively, you might get the desire that you want, the people get God's counsel, and you get your health. No calling 911 for you one of these days. That's what he's after, I think. This is my opinion, yes. But I don't see him interfering with what he's telling 
Moses tell people, as far as counsel is concerned, he's telling him, give God's counsel to the people. Verse number 19. Do that. He's not interfering with that. But in the secret sense of things, they are interfering with the, the, the theology and the scripture and the gospel. That's a different thing. So this is, I think, an administrative issue, not a spiritual issue. In, in church life, in Christian school life, there are many things that they have to comply with the state regulations, lighting regulations. Did you know that when Cola began their school, that all kinds of trouble with state regulators? They would come up with light meters. Turn them on. Okay, oh no, this is not reading. You don't have enough fluorescent. You need to add more fluorescent lights to this room because it should be this, but it's way below that. Has to comply with that. And nothing to do with their, their teaching of um, the kids. Nothing to do with that. It was just about, and then buses had to be painted yellow. Oh. Yellow, Michigan State yellow, Michigan Wolverines yellow, chrome yellow, whatever. Had to do that. Couldn't be personalized. Now you put school name and all that, but you have to have a certain color. You have to comply with state regulations. Now they could have said, no, you're interfering with us. Well, if they thought like that and felt that way, they'd have no school. Plain and simple. So was it interference? It was just Jeff was saying, you know, health and safety kind of thing. That's all. It's like if you uh, have stairs, concrete steps, or wood steps. When you paint it, you want to put something in it to give it traction. Uh, Nathan bought some sand or something. You sprinkle into the paint, stir it up, and you roll it onto the, the um, stairs so that when it rains or slippery, you won't fall. Oh, I wish they had done that in another place. <laughs> and uh, Joseph suggested maybe they should do that. Well, the fact is, uh, that's just a health and safety issue. My son Moses, I'm concerned about your health and safety. Okay, so I'm hammering on this. I'm, I'm, I'm lingering here because I want you to see, I don't think that his advice was wrong. He then goes on to say how he can uh, save his health. He says, delegate to men, train them, train men to be uh, caring for other things, other issues that are important, but not as important as big issues. Put it plainly, there are pastoral issues to be solved, and then there are issues that assistants or deacons or others can solve that are from mature men. They can do things too like that. Why should he, Moses, have to deal with every single issue from A to Z when three quarters of that could be done with qualified men, spiritual men, as it says here in verse number 21. Thou shalt provide out of all the people, not everybody, but some people, able men, such as fear God, Truthful men, honest men, hating covetousness, and place such over them. So have have these men qualified to do what you're doing, Moses. To do what you're doing. They can deal with issues that they can deal with. Now, when they come across an issue that is hard for them, they will send them to you and they'll get in that line. So let's have these men that you appoint, that you, you vet, you screen out, because not everybody can do what they should do. And so have them take your place, represent you in dealing with small issues. That's what he's saying. Do you find that wrong? <laughs> is this, this is not wrong to me. To me, this is just an observation from an outsider who says, ah, oh, I see this, I see this. You should do that instead. Okay, well, thank you. So this is not infringement upon 
Moses' authority. He's not asking Moses to compromise anything. He's still telling Moses, you tell them what God tells you to tell them. Okay, fine. It's almost like accreditation in schools, in colleges, universities. Sometimes schools will not take government accreditation because they think that they're infringing upon their curriculum. And maybe in a sense they are because you have to have so many volumes in the library, you have to have so many kinds of textbooks, you, have to, you must teach certain things like that. Uh, Liberty University went through that several years ago about uh, you have to teach evolution. They insist on teaching creation. Now they've, they've taught evolution as a course, as an option kind of thing. And so, so they've had to comply or they want to comply to get the accreditation. Okay, well, is that totally wrong? Well, let me put it like this. If, if young people college age were exposed to evolution, would they be brainwashed to believe, become evolutionists? If, if Maybe so. But if you ground them, if they come grounded and they face a theory like evolution or a non-truth like evolution, would they be persuaded by the images, the pictures, and all the different graphics that can be very persuasive in evolution? Well, uh, there's a place in which you shelter the kids and then there's a place in which you let them see some things or experience some things uh, to strengthen them, to reinforce what you've told them is true. So it's all kind of kind of uh, tricky and sometimes complicated, but uh, you cannot keep people from seeing things or hearing things totally the rest of their life. As a matter of fact, the opposite could be true in some cases. Let me just give an example here. I'm not to discourage anybody, but uh, sometimes, sometimes kids are shoot us so much from something as simple as uh, let me see here something as simple as um, a sport and then you know kids have a natural curiosity about things and they hear about they hear about different sports and they get curious about that if you deny them access to knowing about that sport of course they will comply because they're children living in your home but then they will wonder about it inside and so when they have a chance to see something they'll do it without any guidance and so that could be a more dangerous thing than uh, letting them see the glimpses with your guidance about that so i opt for the latter because that to me is more healthy and uh, the kids would be exposed to something that's not really quote christian but it's not really bad um, but then uh, they'll be you'll be there to give them guidance so that's very important and help it through in the mix so some schools would take the accreditation if they go through the process of doing certain things to be qualified for accreditation. That could be just administrative, but that could be infringing upon influencing the teaching that the school has and not being so not being so separate from the world. So everything has to be determined by each entity. And so I'm not gonna tell anybody what to do about that. And so now we come to, I hope that's clear as uh, a rainy day <laughs> on your windshield and your windshield doesn't work, wipers don't work. Uh, look at verse number um, 23. So that's what he is saying. Now, verse 23, if thou shalt do this thing, and God command thee so, so he's leaving it open for Moses to be led by the Lord, don't you think? If thou shalt do this thing, and God command thee so, then thou shalt be able to endure. Again, he's after his safety and for his health, and all these people shall also go to their place in peace. Moses, you live longer, you live longer, and the people will get the advice that they need from God. How could that be wrong? Okay, verse 24. And can you see, though, the controversy here and how people were split about this all the time? It depends who uh, the pastor has come from, where he was trained, 
and depends upon the influences upon him, he will take one side or another. You have to take sides. And so the side that I take is that Jethro, a non-quote believer, he observed something as a man and he gave his opinion about it. He wasn't telling Moses what to do spiritually. He wasn't dictating to him how to counsel the people. He was just saying, here's what I see as a man. And did you know this, that the wisdom of the world sometimes is wiser than men, Christian men. Sometimes they see things you don't see and I don't see. All right. Now, verse 24, uh, you now have in this chapter, uh, Moses agreeing to his advice. Verse 26, uh, verse 25. And Moses chose able men to, uh, able men of all the people and made them, uh, my Bible, okay, my note, okay. Uh, able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people Rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. And they judged the people at all seasons. The hard cases, uh, causes, they brought unto Moses, but every smaller matter, they judged themselves. Okay, mission accomplished, but in a different way. Better for Moses, better for the leaders that were chosen to, to lead groups of people, and the people are satisfied. They got their answers to the problems. That was the whole intent of Moses in the first place. It was not expedited by from 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 the outside. I think I think his advice uh, was okay because of these reasons. And so, uh, Dale Moody said this about delegation and about people doing the work besides just one person. "Quote: It is better to set a hundred men to work than to do the work of a hundred men." Well, that's pretty good advice from a man named Dale Moody. As a matter of fact, in the New Testament, did you not see or read about the church at Jerusalem having a problem with people? And he got so vocal, he got so much of an issue that the news media came out and reported about that. And they were gleeful that the church was having problems. Maybe you notice that happening in this world. And so... Uh, the deacons or the, the apostles says, look, 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 look. Our ministry here is to teach the word of God in prayer and so on. You guys go find, you guys could choose seven men that are qualified, just like in here. And you help, you let them serve the table. We, we're willing to do that, but why should we do that when we should be doing this? So we'll do that. We'll do this and you do that. You go find the men qualified. Bring them before us. We'll, we'll check them out. And they did. And so now the Grecians were now satisfied. They were neglected in the administration of the tables. Now they were satisfied because they were given people to take charge of these matters. And that's kind of like here in the Old Testament too. It's okay to have people do different things. And people should do different things because one man cannot do everything. All right. Now look at verse 27. The end of the chapter says this. Moses let his father-in-law depart. And he went his way into his own land. Now. There's something to understand about this before we wrap up this, uh, this session. In verse 27, it tells us that Jethro went home. But what we don't see in this chapter, but we'll see in the rest of the Bible, in Numbers chapter 10, we found out that he did stay for a little while. Come to Numbers chapter 10. Jethro off to go home, but he did stay for a little while. But you get the impression he went right away. 
Numbers chapter 10 and verse 28. Thus were the journeyings of the children of Israel according to their armies when they set forward. And Moses said unto uh, Hobab, the son of Reguel, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law. Ah, well, that's the same character. Moses' father-in-law, we are journeying into the place on which the Lord said, I will give you. Come thou with us, and we will do thee good. For the Lord has spoken good concerning Israel. Verse 30, and he said unto him, I will not go, but I will depart of mine own land and to my kindred. And he said, Leave us not, I pray thee, for as much as thou knowest how we are to encamp in the wilderness, and thou mayest be to us instead of uh, mayest be to us instead of eyes. And it shall be, if thou go with us, yea, it shall be, that what goodness the Lord shall do unto us, the same will we do unto thee. Verse 33, And they departed from the mount of the Lord three days journey. And so you find here that apparently uh, Jethro did stay with them for a little while, uh, even to the giving of the law and beyond that on Mount Sinai. But it appears from uh, Exodus he just left right away. So what you have here is you have a scripture complementing another scripture, another scripture giving more background to a scripture. You have the full story given as you continue reading the Bible. So the lesson to learn from this is that you need to realize that not all the Bible is in chronological order. So in Exodus 18, 27, it is something that happened. Um, it's been kind of like a parenthesis. It's like, okay, this happened. As you keep reading the Old Testament, you find out that he did stay for a little while with them. But you get one impression, but you get the whole picture as you keep reading the Bible. Lesson learned. Read the whole Bible. Read the whole Bible. Don't isolate scripture because there's insight from other scriptures about a scripture here and there. It happens several times in the Bible. And you'll never be confused if you just be patient and read the Bible through. Okay? Don't be swift to jump to conclusions. All right, so that's chapter number 18. And the controversy, in my mind, is not a controversy, but uh, you do have a man giving strong opinion, and Moses took heed to that, and you'll always have controversy about that, even to this day. All right, let's take a short break.